The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Velvet Machete Leadership Podcast. Become a confident, compassionate leader while sharpening your brand from the inside out. It's time to gear up to learn from expert guests and your host, Amber Hurdle. Welcome to the Velvet Machete Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Hurdle. And today we are going to dig into some meteor stuff. Not that our common, um, you know, basic leadership principles, personal branding, mastering your communication, mastering your engagement. Those are very um, core principles and, and the other parts of the Velvet Machete Leadership journey. But I think our guest today is going to help us both in creating supportive environments, the second step on the journey, and also ultimately building your influence, which is really the end game for leadership, right? So how do we become Velvet Machete leaders, confident, compassionate leaders? Well, our guest today, Joseph Joseph Fung is the CEO of Uvaro, a tech sales career accelerator and of Kite, a sales enablement platform purpose-built to provide sales teams with the information that they need when they need it. A graduate of the University of Waterloo's computer engineering program. I'm going to put my pinky up when I say that. Joseph's a repeat founder and CEO with multiple successful sales exits and speaks frequently on the topics of sales leadership, diversity, and corporate social responsibility. He is an active early stage investor who ensures the majority of his investments are into women-led companies, so we love him extra for that. Joseph also sits on the board of Communitech, the Golden Triangle Angel Network, and the Kitchener-Waterloo Symphony. Welcome, Mr. Impressive Joseph to the Velvet Machete Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me here, Amber. I'm so looking forward to today's conversation. Thank you for, for inviting me in. I'm I'm super thrilled. So just I'm super transparent with my audience. They've been with me for a long time and they're the most fabulous audience that ever, ever was. So we were going to talk about sales today. And then Joseph and I hopped on and he was gracious enough to listen to some other episodes being a great guest. Um, we love guests like Joseph. And we really started talking about more of um, societal and political implementation. Implement- why can't I talk today? Societal and political implementations and how are we having those conversations in the workplace as leaders? And how does that frame us as leaders? How does that, um, how does that impact our personal brand and, and our influence? So Joseph, you've been around the block a few times. Can you just, what has happened in your career through all of this startup exposure that has led you to say, Hey, this is really the relevant conversation to have today it's it's interesting i mean i've run a number of tech companies and we've always had a sense of uh, you know diversity and inclusion being a critical core element of our cultures every single time and it's driven so much success and our most recent company sits right in the middle of that challenge we we help people who don't uh, 
you know, for the, the audience who are just listening, I've got the scare quotes. They don't look like <laughs> stereotypical salespeople, land amazing tech sales rules. And the reality is it's been a tough couple of years. There's a lot of tough conversations. And I'm hearing this not just with our, our students, our customers, but also with the companies I've invested in, the CEOs, the heads of sales that I chat with. And these conversations shouldn't just be closed door you know, conversations. They really should be much more open. And that's why I think it's really important to have that chat today. Yeah. So what do you, what do you typically contend with? So let's just say it's a company that you've invested in and you're working with um, the C-suite and, and something goes awry in the news, which something goes awry in society. It gets reported out in the news and people are coming to work scared, vulnerable, no matter what side of things you're on, if you are, you know, the part of the discrete minority, or if maybe you are not, sometimes we just don't know how to have those conversations. And so there's all this anxiety around, do I say anything? Or what if I say the wrong thing? Or it's not a problem because it's not my problem. I mean, there's a lot going on. What's your message to those senior leaders? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, when the problem comes up, we we tend to see two types of things pop up. I mean, number one is very, um, uh, it's very immediate. You know, the idea of someone is personally impacted by events that are happening or uh, trauma that's happened in the past and the news is triggering that. And and maybe that results in uh, a performance issue or challenges at work and that often bubbles up. Uh, the mm-hmm. reality though is most you know, HR business partners, most external advisors can help them overcome that immediate hurdle. And it's really easy to think that the matter is addressed. Mm -hmm. But then the second problem is that the team wants to continue that dialogue. And it it hits all sorts of things. It's things like the questions that pop pop up in our all hands meetings are really challenging. And I feel threatened by that as a leader. Or the team created a a chat room about diversity or about Black Lives Matters. Or uh, a committee was founded to talk about how we should respond to a social issue. And a lot of leaders end up feeling like they're being stuck in a corner. They're being, you know, kind of cordoned into making some type of public statement that maybe they don't personally believe in or they feel is a distraction. And so they often bring it up in the form of how do I shut down these conversations? How do I stop this from being distraction? How do I stop it from creating a problem where none existed and that's the language they use and mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean even those words there, there's so much loaded, to me too <laughs> yeah there's so much loaded context in framing the question that way it's 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 a tough one yeah oh there was no problem that existed there really tell me more about this oh, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so so this is all going on and and i've even been um taken aback some by um just, you know, social media is such a powerful and sometimes destructive tool. And you might even have good leaders who are having very open conversations within their organizations, but then somebody else calls them out either directly or indirectly for not taking a public stand or, you know, making a statement publicly. How do you suggest that um, leaders contend with that level of pressure. Yeah. I mean, so the first one is really feeling comfortable and it's something that's hard to internalize, but is a very true point is there is a big difference between having 
compassionate conversations internally, taking care of your business mm -hmm. versus taking a public stance or activism. So, so let's split those two up. I mean, okay. I think as a leader, you have an obligation to yourself, your employees, your shareholders, everyone involved to take care of your business. Yeah. And that idea of activism though, there's so many different stances. Um, there's groups who talk about the idea of stakeholder capitalism and the idea that businesses have an obligation. And, and yes, some people subscribe to that idea and some business leaders feel they have an obligation to make a public stance. But a private company is a private company. It's your choice. There's no responsibility. So yeah, somebody calls you out on social media and says, why aren't you taking that stance? You're totally within your right to ignore it, to respond, to say we handle these things internally. Not every leader is going to like that. There'll be some people who hear me say that and don't agree with that for a variety of reasons, but it's okay for them to make that choice. And it's a personal journey. The part is you can't confuse that you know, desire to not be an activist. You can't confuse that with not taking care of your business. You still have to do that. Yeah. And typically the, um, if we're looking at it strictly from a business perspective, the largest investment a business makes is in their human capital mm -hmm. in general. I know that's not every single business I'm in. So it, it, it goes back to, are we, handling, handling might not be the right word. Are we taking care of our people? Because if we take care of our people, they're going to take care of our customers. And end of the day, that's at least my belief and, and the belief of the people that I work with. So let's break that down. How do we take care of our people? I'm a, I'm a leader. I am completely overwhelmed by, I mean, it's not like one issue of social injustice. I mean, in the past 18 months, like, wow, just staying educated and humble and, and finding a place of empathy and compassion because you've done the work to understand what it even means to the people who are being impacted. Like that takes a lot of time and effort. Let's just be real. Yeah. It um, is. It's hard. So what, what does the average maybe slightly self-aware, but, you know, not on the pinnacle of enlightenment, <laughs> where does that leader begin? Well, so the, the interesting thing, the first one that we, we talk about whenever we're kicking this around with founders, startups, peers, uh, is really getting comfortable with the idea that every person in the company, every individual, and I mean this, it's an individual thing. It's not a company thing. Every individual is on their own journey. Mm -hmm. I'll give a really good example. A year ago, we ran a workshop internally uh, about diversity, inclusion, belonging. And we had a number of team members who helped bring that workshop together. Like, this is going to be really good. It's going to be really effective. We're going to help our team acquire some new understanding. Uh, and the workshop, uh, I mean, candidly, was uh, for me as an individual, was underwhelming. It felt like an, an hour of talking uh, reading through slides and walking through definitions. Mm. And for myself and for some of the team members who contributed to pulling this together, it felt like a big letdown. It's like, wow, we haven't really moved the needle. But when we went back into our feedback surveys, we were really quite surprised at the number of team members who came back and said, wow, I learned a lot of things I didn't know. This equipped me with new language. And it was very humbling, even for ourselves who take pride in what we're doing, to recognize 
hey, every person in the organization is on a different point of the journey, even me as a CEO. And we need to be ready to meet the team where they are. And yeah, recognizing that you yourself have a journey, but also everyone around you has a different distance to go is it's a tough one to internalize because uh, we're used to trying to create a culture and we use single, <laughs> like we, yeah. we don't talk about cultures, we say a culture and yeah, everyone's got a different stage in their, their journey. So how do you know, how do you know at what point you need to address what? Because I, I think at least with some of my clients, I, I got a lot of requests last year of do you know a diversity and inclusion consultant we can hire? Like that was the question. Yeah. And, and some of them great intention. I know that they'll totally pull it through the organization. So, but I also know that there are some who's like, okay, we're going to hire the consultant. We're going to do the thing. We're going to have some kind of training, training mon- module on our L- LMS. We're going to put a check in the box done. We did diversity and inclusion. Other people have a whole person, which maybe not at the startup level, um, do you have a, an actual, you know, VP or director of that? They could get a little more granular, but we're, we're just, we're a startup. We're running, flying by the seat of our pants, you know, not a lot of systems and processes because those are going to change every single day. And now you're asking me to not only put some kind of system or process together for this, but meet every single person where they are on the journey. <laughs> How do I do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we talk a lot about, being a compassionate leader, I think step number one is being compassionate with yourself. Yes. So you're, you're not going to finish this. I, I think a lot of people approach the topic and they ask that, hey, is there a consultant? You know, we need to do a dibs project. Well, yeah. it's kind of like saying, we're going to do a finance project. Now I'm done my finance. You yeah. Know, no more finance. <laughs> it's a, no, <laughs> it's, it's something you have to keep doing and it gets easier. And as your business evolves, you have to put up new systems and new processes. And if you do it well at the beginning, it's easier later. You, you don't have to do that housekeeping. And so mm-hmm. no matter how small you start, it kind of like that finance thing, like get your receipts out of the shoebox and mm-hmm. start doing something, even a small step. It's the same kind of thing. Like if you, if you keep your house cleaning done earlier, it's easier. Uh, so the two things we usually start uh, as a, a starting point, we'll talk about you got to tackle the leadership question. Um, HBR had a recent article that summarized it really well. I'll share you the link so we can put it into the notes sure. on how leadership teams can assess their own inclusivity. Ooh. Everyone loves frameworks. Frameworks are great. It's, it's like a self-assessment. You can go through, you can say how great. Every team I've passed it to, they, they come away with new learnings, My, myself too. And as a team who takes pride in what we've accomplished, all of us had something like, oh, we can get better at this. Um, that's a good helpful check for where your leadership team is. And then I think the second thing is helping your individual contributors kind of right align the activity. Uh, one of the things that I've seen, this is particularly in startups, and it's, it's been a challenge to watch. Whenever the topic gets brought up, especially in a team where it has not been a topic historically, there's so much enthusiasm and so much passion, you kind of get this whipsaw effect. Mm-hmm. We're a team that's normally had no conversation. Somebody wants to talk about everything. And that's a real challenge, for especially for the leaders. So uh, we talk a lot about helping people emphasize uh, a culture of uh, temperance as opposed to extre- extremism. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're going to have some conversations. There's going to be some learning. 
This isn't about going from you know zero to a hundred instantly. It's about helping people on their journeys and keeping in mind we're all trying to you know pull in the same direction. You know we're all fighting to be better. Uh, and if the leadership team keeps kind of hammering that message about temperance, that helps bring everybody together. Uh, and that's that's an important one to to balance the conversation. Yeah, my extreme language in that and on any topic is we're we're not trying to boil the ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, we're not going to try to get it all done today. Um, this this is a very large thing, which that could be you know certainly considered insensitive. But just in this the context of this conversation, I think it's important to understand you have people who are. I know that I had friends because I checked in with a lot of my friends last year um, and I'm just getting goosebumps and almost teary eyed thinking about it. We saw some really hard stuff last year. Mm -hmm. We're still seeing really hard stuff. Um, And when you know the cause of some of these horrific things that have happened and that cause is because that person looks like you it's really hard to get up and go to work that day. And then the next day and the next day, while you also have some coworkers who are like, I don't know why that's in the news and you shouldn't blame that person. And, Mm -hmm. or, you know, so when that type of tension happens and you have somebody who is in, you know, maybe small T trauma, uh, and then you have another person who is unwilling to have empathy how do you manage that as a leader, like on that relational level? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. That's actually one of the few areas where uh, I'll use a more extremist set of language because um, I think there's a, there's a really good recent example. The CEO of Basecamp recently published a letter. They implemented some policy saying no social, you know, no no political conversations at work at all. Put their foot down. Third of the company left. Um, and, and it's great. It's like, it's a, it's a really interesting event because there's one group of people who will say, wow, he just ruined his company. A third of his people left. There's another group of people who go, wow, the third of the people who weren't being productive walked out the door. Great. And it's a very polarizing conversation. Uh, it's a, it's an awkward people one. People who are listening can't see yeah. the faces that I'm making. I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> in shock, honestly. It is. And the interesting part, the really telling one, and this is the part that I find so useful to this conversation. A couple of years before, he also tweeted a comment about how he likes staying inside his comfort zone. His comfort zone's where he can be successful. He likes his comfort zone. And a lot of leaders get to the point where they recognize these are painful, difficult conversations, and they feel deeply uncomfortable having these conversations. They feel like they need to censor every word they say, every thought they have, and they feel so fatigued, they just wanna shut it down. And my answer is like, yeah, grow up. That's what a lot of the population's dealing with. It's good that you're feeling that and recognizing it because now you can actually empathize with what's happening. And it's a hard one because it's a wake up call. Uh, And I say this, I'm a multi-time CEO in a privileged position, and I recognize I'm also here because I have not had to be uncomfortable in so many of my conversations. Mm-hmm. And when when people wake, 
kind of wake up to that realization when they internalize that, oh, I'm pushing back because I'm uncomfortable and oh, everybody else has as well. And you've got to sit in that discomfort. It does. It makes everything else harder. And that's a reality we got to get used to. Yeah. Well, just even as a female, um, that could have a joke that I could write an entire book just on the um, sexual harassment I've experienced in my career. And uh, I won't, but <laughs> I could. Um, and, and, you know, really good, good men have challenged me on this being an issue. And they're like, oh, that kind of stuff doesn't happen all the time. Cause in their mind, like they would never do it. So how could it ever exist? They, they can't imagine that this. And so I'll start sharing very overt stories, very dis- graphic. Like this is exactly what happened. Like not even trying to sugarcoat it. And they can be, Oh, okay. Well, I'm like, gosh, you're kind of making me uncomfortable. And my, my response is always, how does it feel? That has yes. been my experience. So I'm so sorry yeah. to dis- disrupt your comfort zone. <laughs> like, can you believe me now that this is really a thing? And, and like, obviously I'm a, I'm kind of have the attitude as you, I'm a privileged, you know, white woman who has a lot of an easier time getting through life than, than others. So I can only imagine the frustration of um, people who aren't allowed to be heard. Um, Sorry, that was my little soapbox moment. Um, So we've talked about, okay, we need to assess our organization. Mm -hmm. We need to understand that there are people who have never had a conversation like this before to people who think that anything you do is not enough because they're ready to conquer the world. So we got to meet everybody on the journey. Um, coming up with a framework that fits for the organization that they're in, again, based on where they are on the journey or what uh, space they're in. Um, helping people move along with a culture of temperance, having a intolerant attitude towards anyone who wants to shut a conversation down. Um, what else are we missing here? What else can we add to this to this formula? The uh, the one big thing that that we end up speaking about is uh, it's a, a fantastic framework. It was passed to me by a past mentor uh, called Healing the Leper Organization. Yes, and, I mean the the title of the framework on its own doesn't necessarily age well. I mean leprosy, Hansen's disease. Um, the analogy does hold up though, and for leaders who are comfortable, uh, sorry, who are uncomfortable with these conversations, they want to stay in a position of comfort. I found this framework's been really helpful. Um, the, the, the condition is really caused by a breakdown of nerves and communication. You know, so people who are suffering from it, they, they injure their hand, like they touch a hot stove and the injury, the burn, it might get infected. Their body doesn't know. And these signals to repair, to react just aren't there. You, know, you you break a toe, you don't know, you get cut, you don't know. And that's how the body suffers that disease, that condition. And it's the same thing in the organization. Like those pain signals, like that, that example you gave earlier, you know, someone who's reliving those traumatic events and struggling to come into work, uh, or, you know, a team member who's actually in the middle of a situation, a crisis, and isn't performing right. 
all those things, those those are pain signals. Yeah. You know, that tells you that your your people are hurting, your organization is hurting, and your job is to send antibodies to help heal, mm-hmm. you know, to deal with it. You know, we we speak a lot about how feedback is a gift. That's all feedback. Yeah. Whether it's intended well or not, it's still feedback. If it's positive or negative, it's still feedback. And if you shut down those lines of communication, those injuries fester, they get worse, they develop, and ultimately your organization rots from within. And as leaders, we've got to get really comfortable with hearing that feedback, even if the shape of it's uncomfortable. I love that. I love that um, example of, of leprosy. That's a, that's a pretty powerful one. When, um, when I think about last year and I observed it, I was very involved with organizations from helping them lay off team members or furlough team members to the ones that were benefiting from the shutdown and just were so crazy. Like they, they had no time to catch their breath. I mean, the, the gamut was there, but I think the, the biggest takeaway for me, as I was observing all of these different dynamics was that the shutdown in and of itself caused so much self-reflection because we had no choice, even there just for a little bit um, during stay-at-home orders to sit with ourselves. <laughs> and there was Team Tiger Show, whatever that was called. And that's that's how they spent their time, like Lay's Potato Chips and the Tiger Show. And then you had the people who really did some work. So I feel like coming out of this situation, and I know we're not there yet, but with half the United States vaccinated, hopefully we're getting close. Um, I feel like there's a different posture. Um, there is a deeper awareness of a need for healing. I think that there is, um, people are ready to go deeper than the superficial side of business. (laughs) So leaders are going to have to be equipped to get in their feels a little bit. I, I don't know another way of saying it. Do you, I mean, Joseph, you, you're in a lot of different companies. So (laughs) what are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, short answers. Yeah. Um, I think one of the challenges right now is a lot of news is about recovery, about reopening, you know, about this positivity. And, uh, most business leaders I chat with recognize that there are certain rules of engagement that have changed in the way business happens. Like mm-hmm. work from home is a bigger thing now. Remote work is a bigger thing now. Uh, we see it right now. So just a couple of, uh, for those who don't follow the stats, I'll give a couple of reference points. Um, That'd be great. We, we focus in sales. We crawl a lot of sales jobs. Pre-pandemic, so January, February last year, the hundreds of thousands of sales jobs we tracked, less than 5% of them were flagged as remote friendly. Yeah. Now it's upwards of 40%. That's a that's a big shift. Mm-hmm. And so although there's a recognition, there's rules that have changed, the general zeitgeist still seems to be a return to work, a return to the way things were. And the reality is there are groups and communities for whom the equation is never going to return. One example is uh, youth. So young people, recent grads. In May last year, the number of job openings available for recent grads plummeted by 70%. Mm-hmm. Okay, we all know this. You know, no, no, no young person has a job right now. 
you know, they, they couldn't go into work as a barista. They couldn't be uh, a bartender. Companies weren't hiring. Now, if you follow the press, they talk about a rebound. Things are rebounding. They're recovering. Great. They went back up 7%. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not much of a rebound. Uh, we take a look at immigration rates. You know, they've, they've plateaued at a new lower norm. That means there's cultural communities that are going to feel smaller. There's families that are separated. There's just, yeah, business is going to come back to the way things were in some ways, but there's some communities where the new reality is very, very far from what it was. Mm-hmm. So what do you, this is not necessarily on, on the topic that we're discussing, but what do you think is going on right now um, in terms of employment? Because I mean, to your point, I think the last time I tracked it, we used to pull the, the report from the U S government every month. And there was, uh, 0.8 people available for every job. Like everybody had a job who wanted a job. Mm -hmm. And then we went to this whole different dynamic where everybody needed a job. Since we're going back and things are returning to normal, what is the disconnect between, I mean, why is it only 7% up? If it went down 40, we're only back up seven. What's happening. So, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, unemployment rate, the steady state now, is about double what it was pre-pandemic. So let's anchor on that. Like, yeah, unemployment skyrocketed and it came back down and leveled out, but it leveled out at about double what it was. Um, That unemployment rate also, uh, and I mean, caveat for those listening in, I'm not an economist. I mean, I follow this stuff because it's our business. I'm not an economist though. Um, And there's tons of data and studies that talk about people opting out of the workforce the people who just gave up they job searched for six months and now i'm just not working anymore i'm not looking anymore and so the total labor pool has actually shrunk yeah and that means that an unemployment rate is actually understating it and then the reality is companies change their business like a lot of restaurants now are relying on more delivery mm-hmm. which means they're employing more Uber drivers, but they're employing fewer servers. Mm-hmm. And the actual makeup of the work needed has has definitely evolved. There's a lot of companies who thought they needed on-site full-time people to accomplish work. Mm-hmm. And this forced them to change and they realized, hey, we don't we don't have to go back to the way things were exactly. And that's impacted marginalized communities more than others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the concept of the gig economy is is certainly. Um, I know people who have said, "Well, why would I go do that and be slave to, you know, this experience that I hated when I can just jump in my car when I want to yeah. go park in a shopping center parking lot and deliver food or pick up right." I mean, there's just you have Upwork and you know Fiverr and all of these places online where you can you can gig yourself to quite the, quite mm-hmm. the salary and not be beholden to sitting in a desk from nine to five. <laughs> it is. It's accelerated so much. Like it's super exciting in so many ways because there is so much potential there. Uh, but the part that's also scary is it, it means if you're, if you're gaining your self-employment on Fiverr and Upwork, that also means you're now competing with everybody all over the world. Uh-huh. And I, for us, the moment we went remote first, 
we we opened up our job postings internationally and since then we've hired people in malaysia in india in cameroon great people fantastic talent of course that has an impact on local job mm -hmm. opportunities so it's it is it's just a new equation and if you're a leader you're an executive you're a ceo you've got a certain level of predictability in your future but don't don't get me wrong we're always terrified about our business like as part of being a ceo and a founder so i'm not you know i'm not trying to uh overly uh you know what's the word paint paint it as a all roses um but you have a certain level of control over your future that a lot of your team and their family members might not right and i think that just goes full circle back to the whole beginning of this conversation of having empathy like mm -hmm. you know walk a mile in somebody else's shoes think about what is it like to to wake up like this person versus this person and and it can be um you know it could be race it could be religion it could be gender identification i mean there's just it, it could be so many different things and i feel like it's just all been put in a blender in 2020 and has extended into 2021 with you know on super speed and a lot of what was just swept underneath the rug can no longer be that because yeah. it's it's a um it's a detriment to to your business so and and i think maybe that's a, a the next question for you is you know we hope that everybody listening are great leaders and and they want to be velvet machete leaders they want to be both you know compassionate and they also want to be direct they they want to be strong and powerful but they want to be empathetic and and have that great balance but if maybe maybe our leaders are going back to their companies and there's a senior leader who's just like not my problem you know it's not a problem to me so it's not a problem at all what are the benefits of addressing these issues and having these societal and political conversations in the work in the workforce in a safe environment of like internal not necessarily external like what are the brass tacks business benefits of this yeah i mean the big brass tacks it, there is so much research and so much data out there if you have these conversations well and effectively you will have a more diverse team mm -hmm. and and that's a pretty easy accessible one like it, I guess, again, brass tacks, if you can actually have a reasonable conversation about the death of George Floyd, his murder, and the impact on your team, you will attract more team members for whom that's an important ideal. And if you have a more diverse team, and again, there's tons of research out there, diversity of thought, political opinion, race, age, socioeconomic status, education, all of it. I'm all of it. Not trying to single out one axis. You will achieve better business results and better decision making. Like this is not a debate anymore. The science is out. It's a done deal. So <laughs> catch up if you aren't. Uh, so the big business benefits are that you'll end up with a more diverse team, so you'll have better business results. the The other interesting thing is, if you actually get more comfortable with a more diverse team, it's dramatically easier to onboard remote employees and employees onboard them faster. And in a world where the labor force is more mobile, mm -hmm. fantastic study, Microsoft just released it last month, 41% of workers are planning to look at new roles post-pandemic. Look at your workforce. You got 20 people, 18 of them are looking. Yeah, I know. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> it, as a leader, it behooves you to be really good at onboarding and integrating team members. So 
getting comfortable with these conversations is a precursor to building a more diverse team. And all of those skills will make it easier to have a resilient organization because changes are coming, uh, yeah. whether you want them to or not. Yeah. I, and I think resilience, that's such a great word for, for now. Um, agile is, is the way because, you know, we all wake up and truth is still to this day, we don't know how the day is going to go. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's a wonky time that we're in and those who are able to adapt and um, show, I, I love that you pointed out self-compassion because here's the thing, y'all, if you're watching on video, I'm looking you in the eyes. Um, you're not going to get it right. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. You can do your best and come from a place of authenticity and sincerity. And I will tell you, I've had some messy conversations with a lot of friends who don't look like me, or they don't believe the same things that I believe, or, I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of, um, differences and I don't ask the right questions. I don't say the right things every time, but I will tell you what happens is you learn, you learn from your failures mm -hmm. and you at least show the other person that you're interested in that you're listening. And I think that's a great place to start and, and, you know, has served me well. Um, and I know that I'm going to keep screwing up too. So it's, that's just, <laughs> my approach <laughs> we're sitting here kind of like two voices on a podcast telling people how they got to run their businesses and it's true like we're going to screw things up too and i i struggle with it like two young kids and all of the remote schooling is <laughs> literally this morning i almost lost it and i had to sit down in my closet because uh, I mean, I felt like I was failing as a, as a father, as a parent, trying to hold it together. It is so hard. And all I can do is reflect and say, hey, well, if I'm dealing with that and I've got the benefit of having some control over my destiny, how's my team going to be struggling with it? Mm -hmm. So it's, it is, it's a tough time right now. Grace upon grace upon grace. So Joseph, you've been so generous with your thoughts on um, a difficult topic that I just think that you have beautifully and, and gingerly yet with strength have, have navigated with us. Um, I would love for you to tell us though, a little bit about Uvaro and, and what you do there and what that looks like. Uh, thank you for, for the kind comments. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be working in a space where we get to see a lot of this stuff firsthand. So we, we kind of get this front row seat to what's happening. Um, Uvaro is a, a tech sales accelerator. We help you know folks who maybe have been in customer service and retail. We've had bartenders, people who sold motorcycles, people who are working in oil and gas, running daycares, unemployed, newcomers. We train them how to sell technology and then we introduce them to tech companies who are growing. So we've had people land roles at all the most exciting companies like Shopify, Vidyard, Oracle, Adobe, like fun, fun companies. And I think the part that's so empowering for me and what gets me up every single day is every sales leader who's trying to hire sales reps, they kind of go to their old bag of tricks and like, okay, I've got a good instinct of what it means <laughs> to hire a salesperson. And in their mind, they're thinking a typically you know, white male played competitive sports at college, maybe did door to door selling painting in the summers, you know, so they've got yeah. a bit of comfort. <laughs> um, somebody you want to have a beer with. Uh, and 
our grads and our most successful ones don't look like that. Like we keep a list of the top negotiated salaries from our grads, like how well they've done. You know, they're going on and doing amazing things. Our, our average grad doubles their salary after they get through. Uh, and three of our top four are women. Um, we have a wall on our site of all of our demo day. When they graduate, they do this demo day. It's a competition. Uh, three quarters, the grads are visible minorities. Uh, it's, yeah. it is, it's a very rewarding work. And yeah, every day we get to help people launch amazing new phases of their lives. And that's fun. That is so cool. Yeah. I, I was, um, before we started recording, I, I told Joseph that I was looking at the YouTube videos and his website. And I think, um, I think there's a lot to learn there, whether you want to, uh, leverage finding talent, or if you want to be trained yourself as a sales professional, or if you really want to just look at a company doing things right. So I think there's a lot we can learn from our peers, um, even if we're not interested in the, um, the outcome of what that business does. So Joseph, um, I always ask our guests before we wrap up, if there's any parting advice, just like a, a nugget of wisdom that you can leave with people as they're getting off the treadmill or off the on-ramp or <laughs> whatever they're doing while they're listening to this. Hopefully they're not in their car watching this on YouTube. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd say it's an advice, but my touchstone, and I, I guess if I had a mantra or a credo or something, I, I say this to myself every day is that feedback is a gift. Mm. No matter how good or badly intentioned, feedback is a gift. We can learn from it and grow from it. Yeah, I love that. That's that, I don't say it that way, but that's definitely a tenant of my life as well. So thank you so much for your generous time and, and wisdom. Thank Appreciate you, Amber. You. This was a lot of fun. I'm really glad that we got to chat today. Me too. So everyone, um, thank you for joining us for this very important conversation. Um, as always, I love to hear from you, uh, whether you're leaving a comment on YouTube or I know many of you just like to email me directly. Um, please let me know how this has impacted you and maybe even take it one step further. What's just one small step that you're going to take in your organization to start this process where you can have these conversations as uncomfortable as they might be at first. Um, be sure to leave us a rating and review. If you so feel compelled, share this episode with someone. I know this is a very big, hot topic and maybe they can find some direction as well. And then other than that, I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in. Mentioned resources can be found at amberhurdle.com. Be sure to leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast app and subscribe so you never miss an update. As always, thank you to The Coup for our intro and outro music. See you next time.